Welcome to a Writer in the Lab podcast from Newcastle University, providing you with inside perspectives from scientists and engineers in their own words, discussing the nature of science and engineering, the joys and challenges of doing research, and why it matters. In part two of this episode on the Water Security and Sustainable Development Hub led by Newcastle University, we continue our discussion on water security with water resource engineers and social scientists who are working together with partners around the world to tackle barriers to water security and help achieve goal six of the Sustainable Development Goals, clean water and sanitation. This morning, we probably both got up and we had a shower, turned on the tap, got a glass of water and had a drink, and we probably didn't give it that much thought. We got the benefit of the water supply. We might've thought a bit about turning on that tap or turning on the shower, but we probably didn't think about the huge network of pipes uh, that got that water to our house, the treatment plants that cleaned uh, water and made it fit for human consumption uh, and of course the subsequent wastewater treatment plants that took that water away cleaned it up and allowed it to be safely discharged into our local rivers and seas behind that still that physical part of the system, there's a whole host of organisational issues, people trained to ensure that these things operate, uh, and of course, uh, financial uh, services that ensure that the, the, the infrastructure can be maintained, operated, uh, and investment can be provided when it's needed. All of these things make up the kind of the water security system in this country. And every day we consume our water and probably give very little thought to all of that. And this is why it's so difficult to see the system because so much of it is invisible. Beyond that tap and maybe a first few stretches of pipe, most people probably do not really think about it until the water runs dry. But we're very fortunate. Many other parts of the world have huge challenges. Challenges because there is no water infrastructure system that connects directly into their house. Challenges because they do not have toilets. They have smartphones often, but not a toilet. Challenges uh, because there is uh, limited investment and huge development priorities, not just focused in and around water. Uh, Pressures because of uh, limited uh, environmental regulation that's leading to pollution of what water resources are available. All of these things are important uh, and without them all, the water security system fails. My background is civil engineering. Uh, very much focused on uh, tackling water-related challenges. And uh, indeed, many of our approaches to tackling water security focus in and around the technical parts of the system. And so quite often we see uh, well-intended investments in, for example, new pumps, uh, new wells uh, to provide local water resources to populations. These are very important ways of uh, getting water to people, um, but on their own, they often fail. And the reasons for this is because we focus very much on that sort of visible and key interaction between the people and the water supply, i.e. the taps, the pumps, the well. What excites me about water is how important it is to everything on the planet. It's fundamental to human life. It's 
uh, crucial for our health. If we drink dirty water, we get ill. Uh, and indeed, around the world, uh, millions uh, die uh, as a result of dirty, polluted water. If we don't have water, we can't grow food. If we don't have water, we struggle to generate uh, energy because water is crucial for cooling power stations or indeed uh, is crucial for generating electricity uh, through hydroelectric power stations. What we fail to implement is the wider aspects of the system to provide, educate communities in how to uh, sustainably consume water resources, to build capacity uh, and train people to actually repair these pumps, these wells when they fall apart, and provide supply chains to actually bring in spare parts that are often needed when things fall apart. And so uh, as a result of failing to build sustainable water security systems, billions of pounds of investment often fall apart uh, in under 10 years of actually delivery of the engineering infrastructure. And so it's absolutely crucial to take a systems perspective that looks across both the uh, environmental aspects of water supply, the social aspects of water supply, uh, and of course, the engineering components as well. One of the major challenges and research activities within this hub is to actually uh, enable people uh, and, and help them participate in conversations uh, around water. And we have a number of ideas for doing that, uh, using and developing this uh, idea of, of something like a, a community water charter to actually help consolidate and channel uh, the ideas of the community and use that as a more powerful mechanism for engaging uh, with big organisations and government. But it's also crucial to involve these organisations in these discussions as well. They're, they're not just uh, sort of there to, to, to be asked to deliver things. They have interests, uh, motivations uh, and things that they value too. And so it's absolutely crucial to engage across all of these different scales of water governance and people who have an interest in this water security system uh, to ensure that we deliver something that meets the needs of all of the key agencies and actors and individuals involved. The To look across a, a bigger water system, we do have to, of course, look at the uh, array of physical assets, how they interconnect, how the pipes transmit uh, water, just as we think about uh, energy networks transmitting power. We have to understand key parts, critical uh, nodes in this where water is often treated, but uh, it's not just about the technology. We have to also understand uh, the role of people in this system. So how uh, individuals consume, uh, how key uh, actors, farmers, uh, energy generators use precious water supplies. So climate change is a huge uh, driver uh, on water security. It has uh, the potential to significantly reduce the availability of water resources in large parts of the world. But it is one of many drivers that actually affect the uh, security of, of, of water supply to, to people. Uh, in addition to climate change, we also see uh, growing or changing demographics of, of populations. 
we see pollution, which is actually uh, uh, taking out, removing uh, large quantities of uh, water supply as as pollutants enter uh, our groundwater. Uh, and what we have to do in this program of work is actually look at all of these drivers of change and understand how we can build in water security, accounting for all of these pressures. So I'm uh, Dr. Claire Walsh and I'm a, a lecturer in the Water Resources Group at Newcastle University. And my role in the hub is to co-lead Workstream 1, which will develop a global network of local water collaboratories. So when, when we think about building resilient systems for, for water security, really requires an integrated view which which bridges across um, hydrological, environmental, social, cultural, economic and political processes that span across catchment management, agriculture, policy, financing, institutions. So I came from a, a, a geography background. My first degree was in, in geography, mainly physical geography. And this, this sort of gives you a broad understanding of the physical processes and, and, and the natural environments. And then I moved over to, to engineering to do my, do my PhD. And that's really when I became interested in, in engineering and, and recognising, as I've just been talking about, this, the importance of this systems approach to be able to find this, you know, this best solution, not just for the problem that you're, you're looking at, but for, you know, what are the ripple, what are the ripple effects? Can, can we do that more widely? And I guess when you're thinking about, um, obviously I do a lot of work, work on related around water security and water security is, is fundamental to sustainable development, but yet water issues um, present the single biggest threat to developments, whether that whether that being through there being too much or there being too little, whether it's of poor quality or whether it's costing too much. And the widespread impacts burden the, the poorest and the most vulnerable disproportionately. So in order to, to address water security, an interdisciplinary research is needed. And interdisciplinary research requires um, effective and regular contact to build, uh, build up this collaborative respect and understanding that's needed uh, across all parties and across all, all disciplines. So in order to establish our, our local collaboratories, our approach um, really is to be community-led and to promote open innovation. And these are going to be open to all stakeholders to meet on an equal basis, so, so to jointly question and discuss and construct new ideas to resolve this complex challenge of, of water security. Uh, we're working with our with colleagues in, in computing to sort of set up using using actual data, set up uh, scenarios and, and and play out these these games um, in in local contexts. That sounds really cool. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> so how do how do people play these games then? What, well, that's that's that, that you know again the, these these will be co-created with with the communities to to make sure that um, you know they are useful for this learning and for also to be used as an engagement and, and, a, and a dialogue. So um, hopefully, if they're set in the local context, um, the the communities and stakeholders will will recognise what the situation is and what the issues are, and hopefully, you know, really, uh, really, really get on board with that. For me, I think um, it's it's really important to to have that local context and, and understanding and, and awareness. And you can only of, of, of the situation, you know, and, and the problems that we're trying to uh, tackle, and, and whether and when we're assessing the solutions and whether they're suitable. And the only way you can really do that is is to 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 understand, um, you know, what 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 the people think is it is is it working for them? Um, if not, why not? You know, what what could we do better? Um, so and and to 
so in, in identifying problems and challenges uh, with them at, at the outset, really found found through through um, projects I've been involved in that the the methods and, and approaches that we then then take then then take are more um, suitable and uh, the community really gets in, in, involved. We need to create solutions that that work. Otherwise, why you know why bother? We, we're, our, our resources now are, are so finite that we've we've got to get this right. And I think the only way to get it right is to make sure we understand the problems and the challenges uh, to begin with uh, properly. Um, and that and that can only come by come come from those that are actually experiencing those problems and, and actually understanding those challenges. So we need to work with people um, throughout the process. Um, to design whatever research might be needed to better understand what's going on, um, and then also, um, you know, as as we as we get towards these solutions and, and decisions and, and, and choices, to, to make sure that they are right, so that we don't we don't so they're not just put in place and they're left. That we you know we monitor them, we, we evaluate them, and if necessary, we go back around the circle again and, and, and we uh, redesign them to make sure we're, we're getting the outcome that is desired um, for for all. My name is Dr. Kat Button and I'm a lecturer of global urbanisms uh, in the planning department, the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape here. Um, I'm also the DPD of the MSc in Urban Planning um, and my interests in research. The key thing is I'm interested in how people and communities cope with having too much or too little water. So that means I've looked at how people are dealing with um, water shortages. So that could include droughts um, in Mumbai, looking at rainwater harvesting um, and in northern China um, on a GCRF resilience project, uh, looking looking at droughts there um, and also at flooding. Um, and that's been in delta areas of Vietnam and Bangladesh. What I'm personally interested in is the idea of governing so the processes and the people who might be involved. Um, and I think it's important to think about how governing or governance is at a multiple layer of scales. So it could be that it's intergovernmental or that it's um, state level governance. It could be cities and their mayors or their um, local authorities making decisions and governing, but it can also be um, the processes of self-governance of communities, of working out how that infrastructure might work and might be put there. So I'd say that it's very much about who's doing it, at what scale, how those scales interact is something I find interesting and how it might work between different scales or cause tensions or have different intents. And that's those frictions. I think we see those. Um, that's when we become aware of, of the powers that are at play. And I think power is another word um, that's important um, when we're thinking about infrastructure and water in particular, that they're both very political um, and that water is a political issue. Um, and that could be the very obvious issues of who gets the water from a river that crosses a border, for example. Um, but it can also be political in the ideas of who gets access to piped water um, and who makes those decisions about which communities get water, how much, 
um, whether it's a, a community is, is legal. So I guess if we're thinking about the governance of water infrastructure in a lot of um, the global south, we might be thinking about very dense urban areas and which housing is legal or who is responsible for supplying that water to different areas. Um, and you might have conflicts, particularly as cities expand, that they might go across different local authorities, for example, or different state governance if it's if it's federal, and then who actually has that responsibility. And that's an important thing about that this isn't just isn't just a massive research project over five years. It's hub. And so it's about building capacity and it's about building networks and feeding back and how those connections are going to happen. Um, and so for me, that that's what's exciting is that it isn't just about going out and researching, but it's about thinking about, well, I'm a social scientist within this. Um, and it's, this is a project led by engineering and perhaps there's a huge range of different inf- of different. Um, interdisciplinary connections that can be made and that it can sort of not be put in a box but be thinking about how I might work with other people and how we can communicate the the research that we do our values into the other work packages and think about how they can be used and reflected upon to make you know technological solutions appropriate um, for example or to to show that you know, and to, to really foster that learning across the hub between the different places and between different ways of doing things. So I think we're going to be working quite in quite an emergent way so that based around those uh, hubs in India, Malaysia, um, Ethiopia and Colombia, be thinking about, well, what are the issues? What are the structures around that? And, and what kind of tensions might there be in the governance of that water infrastructure and, and maintaining security? So the hidden voices, I guess, are the well, quite literally, it's the, the people and the communities who aren't being heard or aren't being listened to. Um, perhaps they don't have the power. Um, they could be suppressed in some ways. But I think it's, you know, that, that they have a role in... <laughs> so they have an importance in, in how water is managed and, and that they be accessing that water and thinking around water security issues for either access to water, resilience against uh, shortage, resilience against flooding, um, and thinking about, you know, whose ideas and needs actually are prioritised in the structures that happen. So again, it comes back to these questions of power. And if people aren't being heard, then they might not get Prioritized, they might not be seen as having as much worth by, you know, whoever is making those decisions. So how how do you bring that out? My name is Professor Pauline Dixon, and I'm a professor of international development and education here at Newcastle University. I've been working in informal settlements now for twenty years. And these informal settlements are really made up of people coming to big cities in search of opportunities. The, the, the wonderful thing about these hubs is that it's partly due to the capacity building and it's the capacity building that experts from around the world can bring to some amazing NGOs and amazing people and communities that have been struggling to do work on their own and maybe haven't had a voice before. So when I first started working in development, I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I think what was really important, I was either going to do something around health or something around education. And 
1999, I was a very late starter. In 1999, what was really important was education for all. And then we got the Millennium Development Goals. And education for all was a very interesting topic because it was assumed that a lot of children weren't going to school. So the research that we did here at Newcastle actually highlighted the fact that this was a mistaken um, goal because a lot of children were already going to school. It's just they were going to schools that people didn't know existed. So really what we're looking for, not just in government schools, but in all of the, all of the different ways that children can learn, all of the different ways, uh, NGOs, faith-based mission schools, outside school, within the communities themselves, what we're looking for is for, for children to actually come out with an education that actually means something whether it's in their communities, but something that is meaningful to, to drive these goals forward and to see the world a better place in 2030. Uh, initially, we'll be going into the communities and asking the children who would like to be involved. Some might think that, well, maybe you should start in schools, such as with the Bharti Foundation in India, or uh, uh, clubs that already exist, such as Voice for Girls in India. Uh, you should start there. But actually, there are children who are very marginalised within those communities that probably would like to get involved. So that's a hidden voice of a child who isn't even going to school. So you could have a 12 or 13-year-old girl who no longer goes to school because they don't have a separate toilet for girls. Um, she's experiencing becoming a woman and she can't go to school. So, But maybe she will be one of the citizen scientists that actually grows within the, the science club. And she might be one of the people that hold the science club together. So what they'll be doing, they'll have on their iPhone or on their iPad an app um, that will allow them to uh, take the GPS coordinates of different water issues within their communities. So it could be, they could be looking for a stream, they could be looking for a, uh, a water pump uh, that isn't working, but they'll take a photograph of it, they will GPS it, and then we'll give them something to do about it, working maybe with uh, David Graham, uh, looking at taking samples, so that not only will they be mapping uh, things with using an app, to do with water and hygiene, but they'll also be gathering samples and doing little experiments around uh, wa water security and sanitation and hygiene. You know, me as a social scientist, as somebody who wants to make a difference, who sees injustice in the world or sees people struggling or actually sees people being absolutely amazing and then just wants to make a difference. What I'm really good at as a social scientist, I think, is doing household surveys. It's doing interviews with people. It's it's getting people to talk to me as an individual. And it's probably to do with when you go into an informal settlement, I think people make a judgment about you straight away. If you're going with someone, that's great. If you're going with somebody who, who you've worked with before, that's fantastic because you've got that. But also it's the fact that people judge you as soon as they see you, I would say. So as a social scientist, I'm somebody who... I think, comes across as somebody who really wants to make a difference, who really cares and who wants to hear those hidden voices, who wants to hear what people have to say. I think probably what comes across is I'm not somebody who's going to come in as an official, a top-down approach, this is what you should be doing, why are you not doing this? But I'm somebody saying, well, what, what, what is happening here? What, what, what's happening here? Why are you doing this? And that's, I think that's what makes me 
a social scientist who is very interested in in what's happening on the ground and as as we've already said about uh, looking at individual behavior and why this behavior is happening and how you can actually look at that through a different culture lens i guess so you're looking at different people's cultures and so on so as a social scientist, it's very important for me to find out what's happening at the grassroots. And the only way you can make a difference is by having gold standard research to inform policy and to inform practice and uh, to have these people's voices made, heard as to what is actually needed in, a, in, a, in an informal settlement in a slum area around water and sanitation. You have been listening to a Writer in the Lab podcast from Newcastle University, presented by me, Emily Barker, and produced by Brett Cherry and Tommy Howell. If you want to learn more about our research in science, agriculture and engineering, then visit our website at www.ncl.ac.uk forward slash stage. Thanks for listening and see you next time.